Dear Lord, I've asked you for so many things before. For strength to climb each mountain in my way. I've asked for strength in heaven. I've even asked for love. But from now on, this is the way I Most of all, thanks. 
Every 
Father again. 
fades away. My heart found a surgeon, my soul found a friend. So I run to the Father again and again and again and again. I saw the Lord seated on his throne. He was clothed in glory. And he was exalted high. And the train of his robe, it filled the temple. And the angels gathered round, and they began to cry.
said he got the gospel in there and him and his family is all the, the grandkids took turns and uh, I was so proud of him I knew my father would have been proud of him and I knew his grandpa would be proud of him and I thank God for him and I praise God for what he does uh, try to do that for the first time in your life and it's not easy <laughs> but God was all over him and helped him and I thank God for that um, also, the young lady that was here, uh, little Danielle, lost her mother the other night. And she's just 12 years old, and she's here today. And I want you to pray for her. Enemies out to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's working overtime. And God is good to us, and he, how do you say, we have joy inside in the midst of storms. We have joy in the midst of troubled times. We're God's people. I need you every week. I need you to have fellowship with you. I need to feel the presence of God. And I think God gave the enemy a black eye today on, the, on Halloween. And I praise God for his presence. We don't live on the hype. We don't live on trying to stay on top of the mountain all the time. We strive to be what God wants us to be. But I know that the presence of God thrills the Christian because the presence that's in inside of you that he placed there when you gave your heart to him is alive and well. And when, when his presence moves into the room and, and uh, begins to praise, it's revealing to every one of us, makes you want to stand at attention. It makes you want to go marching into heaven. And I praise God for his grace, for the songs. Some of the singers maybe never got to sing, but I appreciate them. Uh, I had a message on my mind this week, so I know it's 
back and late, so I'm going to, I've cut, already cut it in half, half of it's tonight, so you'll have to come back and hear the last half of it. You don't get to hear the end of the story unless you come back tonight. So. But I want you, if you uh, got your Bible, I, I want you to turn to Jeremiah first, if you will, the fourth chapter, and uh, I'm forgetting something, I can't remember what it is, but it'll come to me. The, the, uh, the little harvest party they had last night, and, and I thought, you know what, we, uh, how many know sometimes we put on a different face? Everybody put on a different face sometimes? I got so tickled at Kenny and Jill's little girl, uh, Katie's little girl, and uh, she had that outfit on. Was it Queen? Queen Elizabeth. And she stood so proper. She stood there like she was a queen. I don't know how old she's off a little, but huh? Almost two. And she won the contest for the best outfit. And I, I was tickled at her. But it was beautiful to come out here and see the little children. I want you to turn there to Jeremiah. One place I want to say before I go there. Isaiah, in the 40th chapter, he said this, 18th verse, he said, To whom then will we liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? And I began to read that this week, that scripture, and I began to think about what God has done in, in the kingdom of God, what God has done since his son came into this world. And I want to tell you something, other. even though you're in America and you believe that you've been around the gospel and everybody knows about it, not everybody knows. Do you know God's still working on people? God's still trying to reach out and save people. Somebody told me this morning, I believe it was Carl, that all the ministries have gone to just looking at Jerusalem and looking at the Jews. And I, you know what, I'm, I'm all for what God's got planned for the Jews. He knows when to bring forth the end time, and he knows when to turn it away from the bride. But right now, he's trying to get the bride ready. He's working real hard because you know why? He don't want you left behind. You're, we're the bride. We're supposed to be not only in, but ready. Be ready. Stay ready. Don't stand on the outside and watch what goes on. Put your heart into it. Put your whole life into it. But I want to skip, I'm going to skip on that, and I want to go to Jeremiah 4, where I was talking about, and I want you to look at verse 19. God's always warned Israel, and God's sent warnings all through that, the time because Israel had got away from God. I know the church and America... It's very obvious they've got away from God. Now, you know what? I'm not, I'm not here to talk politics. I'm not here to talk. You might have voted for Biden, and if you can vote for him, that's good. But you know what? This ain't about Biden or Trump or nobody else. It's about Christ, and it's about what he has already done in us. And our mind and our eyes has got to, like she said, get off the flesh and get on to Christ because he is our rescue. He is our refuge for what's going on today. But it says in Jeremiah 19, he says, My bows, my bows, I am pained at my very heart. Now, I know that sounds a little funny, 
but it's figuratively talking about when it says bowels, it's talking about the heart. And it says, my heart makes a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet and the alarm of war. How many of those wars coming? I don't know what's going on with the high ups or the high educated and these that are leading our country, but for some reason or other, all they got on their mind is division. They want to divide us. They want us to hate each other. They want us to separate. They're separating the children. We're not supposed to discipline our children no more. We're not supposed to tell them no no more. They have the right to say anything they want when they get 17, 18 years old. And we ain't got the right to even know what they're doing. The school wants to tell them, you don't have to tell your parents no more. And I'm thinking, you know what? God didn't give them to the school. God gave them to the parents. So look out what you're saying. Look out what the enemy's trying to lead us to. And I call it a blindness. I believe the blindness is what they're doing. The smarter they get, the dumber they get, or the farther away they get from God. Okay, and it says, the next verse says, Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tents spoiled and my curtains in a moment. What's he talking about? He ain't talking about spoiled people. I know we want to say everybody in America is spoiled. That's why we act the way we do. But the truth is that ain't what he's talking about. He's talking about destruction's coming. He's talking about it coming to Israel. Jeremiah is warning from God that Israel, you keep doing what you're doing. Destruction is coming. I can see it. Jeremiah's saying, I can see it. Destruction is coming. They're going to come in. The enemy's going to come in and spoil your tent. And he's going to get you. He's going to spoil you. You know what? Sometimes we look around and we think, oh, no, not America. America couldn't be took over by somebody. America, they wouldn't allow that to happen, would they? I don't think there's a limit to what the enemy would do. He's out to destroy. And so Carl said it. He's out to destroy the church. If we can get rid of the church, we can go on with what we want to do. I want to tell you something. The enemy has been fighting the same fight against any other generations too. I know it looks like, I can look back at my generation, people had reverence and respect for the church. But I want to tell you something, other. The times hasn't changed that much because the enemy's still playing the same game. It says, verse 21, how long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people are, is foolish. They have not known me. Listen to the words coming out of his mouth. Talking about Israel. My people, it says, is foolish. And they have not known me. They are Saudi's children, which means they're silly children. And they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil. But to do good, they have no knowledge. How many sees that in America? I never seen the people wise to do evil. You, you know what? They're making, they make everything they're turning to, they turn it to evil. And they're wise in how they do it. They're luring our young people. They're luring our children. They're luring the young adults. They're luring the families that has, uh, that has little kids. They're after the attention of the mothers and fathers to drag them out to the bars and to drag them out to everything going. What is the enemy trying to do? He's trying to destroy and spoil this country. 
He said they're foolish. But here's the biggest thing. They have not known me. Uh-oh. Now that's a hard thing to say in front of a church. They have not known me. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if you don't know Christ, you ain't never going to understand what I'm telling you. And you're always going to do about what the Pharisees did. You're going to begin to find something you don't like about me, about the church, about the singers, about when they're worshiping or when they're not worshiping. You know, I've seen people that if they wasn't worshiping and on cloud nine, they said, we'll better go to another church. The Spirit's moving over there. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't know what church is about. God's trying to help you grow up. God's trying to work on you. And he sometimes tells me, sit down, shut up, and pay attention. Maybe he ain't never told you that. I'm going to tell you. That ain't just my father and mother told me that. God's told me that. Stop and listen. Because even little children will teach you godly things. I want, here's what I want to preach. I want you to understand first, this is a picture. It's a picture of our time today. It's no different. Think about it, it really is. Now I want you to turn to Acts 17. You see the enemy coming in our world. I want to ask you a question, Christian. Does it grieve you because the enemy's coming into the world? Does that grieve your heart? Because I'm going to tell you something right now. God knows that Jeremiah was grieved over what was happening to Israel. He called somebody that was grieving for Israel. Duran, he was weeping and he was crying. He called it a weeping prophet. He cried and he wept because he saw the direction they were going and you could not turn their face. Are you grieving for those not ready for the Lord's soon coming judgment as Jeremiah was or even as Jesus when he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killed the prophets. I have tried to gather you, but you always reject me. You always turn away. It's in, I think it's in Luke, what, 13, 34, or 24, or something like that, 34. 13, 34. I want you to turn to Acts 17 if you've got your Bible. This is where I want to preach out of. This is the story I want to tell you about. And I read this this week, and it, and it kind of jumped out at me because Apostle Paul. Number one, don't think I'm angry or hate somebody because I talk the way I do. I want to tell you something. If there wasn't something inside of me that grieves my heart for what's going on in our country, it breaks me inside. It brought a break you inside. When I got that call about that young girl and her mother dying, I thought to myself, these little kids, these little kids are doing things. They're trying, they're innocent children, but there's evil all around us. Evil's happening all around us. Parents, we better get serious about what God's doing and not what this world's doing. It's a dead end. In Acts 17, look at verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens... Paul was up in Berea. He was up and, uh, and they came after him. They began to come after him and Timothy and Silas stayed there. You remember Silas and Paul was in jail and, 
in the 16th chapter, but now in the 17th chapter, they went to Berea and they actually came against Paul because he was preaching Jesus. And so when they did, they, the rest of them got together and said, you go on out of here. They sent Paul out to go on down the side of the, the bank and he followed it all the way down to Athens. He's gone to Athens, but they stayed and he's waiting for them. And that's what this scripture says. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Now, I want to tell you something. Paul had compassion for what they were doing. And I want to tell you something a little bit, little bit deeper here you probably don't know. Athens was a great place as far as intellect. This made me think of about America. Athens is, was one of those places where all they did was come about knowledge and learning and, and idolatry. Everything was given over to worshiping false gods and knowing the doctrines of everything. And that's what they studied and worked on all the time. It says here, Paul was at Athens, the great intellectual and cultural center. There were religionists. Now these are people that's in the, in the city. They were religionists. People studying religions all the time. They were God-fearing people there. There was obviously people that believed in God. Then there was the average person or citizen. And then there was these people called the Epicureans. Epicureans were pleasure seekers. Epicureans, it says, devoted to the pursuit of gross sensual pleasure, such as good food, comfort, fleshly appetite. I mean, here's what I'm saying. Let me tell you something. That don't describe America. They've lost where God was, but their fleshly appetite is, is just hungry as it ever was. And they're feeding it with everything they got. It says these thought happiness was a was uh, these thought that happiness, avoiding of pain and emotional disturbances was to be the highest good and fulfillment. And I'm going to tell you something. If all you got to do is make sure you are happy all the time, then that means you can't be married to the same woman because my wife can aggravate me sometimes. Okay? Sometimes you're having a hard time in life. But let me tell you something. You got to be committed to who you are. Committed to Christ. Because you're going to suffer with him. You can't bring the truth of the gospel. That's why they hate the gospel in America. They can't handle the truth of it. They can't handle the, the gospel coming forth. Well, Apostle Paul showed up here. And I'm going to tell you something. What he saw disturbed him. It says also there were Stoics there. Stoics were the people that believed that whatever happened, good or bad, either God or, or nature should be accepted as fate or meant to be. How many of those people like that? It's like they just shrug it off. Whatever happens, happens. I don't care. I can't do nothing about it. It's fate. It was meant to happen. It says here, they, they calmly accepted, of, accepted all occurrences as unavoidable. It's just going to happen. No matter where you go, what you do, think bad things are going to happen, good things are going to happen. Just shrug it off. Let me tell you something. My God's bigger than that. My God's real God. He really loves me. He sent his only begotten son to lay down his life for my sins. 
for your sin. We don't serve on faith. We serve by believing in the God that we serve and believing his, story, uh, his gospel that's been given. It was known for its great literature, arts, architecture, and wise, educated thinkers, and prosperity. That's why everybody wants to come here. They think we're going to be prosperous. And I'm thinking the last thing you need to do is tell somebody coming across the border it's free. You know what? There ain't a one of us that don't know. When you earn something, it's appreciated. When you work for something, it's appreciated. When you get in line and do it the right way, God will bless what you're doing. I'm not being critical. I'm no better than anybody that crosses that border. But I'm going to tell you something, other. If we don't have rules, if this Bible wasn't full of what God says is the standards, then you know what? We're wasting our time. But God is true. His word has never passed away. It's going to be there forever. Let's get on into Acts 17. Acts 17, verse 17. It says, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Paul couldn't shut up. Why couldn't he shut up? He got to this new city, Athens, but he could not keep his mouth quiet. How many has ever been places and you can't understand it? You've got to speak up. I mean, these people's lost their mind. I've got to tell them the truth. I've got to help these people out. They're really messed up. You know? I mean, sometimes I've been at work. I've been in, been in the middle of union meetings and stuff like that, and I think to myself, I've got to straighten this guy out. And eventually God told me, shut your mouth. You're ruining your testimony. But you know what? God's trying his best to help us to present the gospel and present the love. That's what I want you to hear today is Paul had passion. He had compassion for what was wrong. I don't know where our compassion's at, but it's not about the lost souls no more. Seems like people goes off the deep end, and we'll vote for them the next time they stick their hand up. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Where is our scruples? Where are the principles? Where is our prayer life? Because we don't talk to God about these things. It says, Then certain philosophers, talking about the Epicureans and the Stoics, encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Others, some, He seems to be a setter forth of strange gods. Because why? Because Paul preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Boy, you talk about messing up their little world. They're in the elite place where everybody's, you know what, everybody's so wise and all these people. You know, you know what they're doing? They're, they're looking at him like, you're a nut, buddy. You think this one thing happened and that did it all? We're all subject to that. And, you know, they look at it like all these gods. Did you know there's an estimation that there was probably 10,000 people in Athens at that time? Guess how many gods they were so estimated to have? 30,000. Three times what there was people. Because they had a God for everything. They had a God for everything. They threw gods up and emblems up and images up and praised and done their rituals to every one of them. And they took him and brought him to Arapagus, 
which is the same as Mars Hill. But I want you to hear it because it said, Arapagus saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their, their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. I think sometimes when I think about that, I think about our Congress and our chief justices. And they say, well, maybe a year from now we'll hear your case. And I'm thinking to myself, what? And then they bring the case and they give as much play to the wrong side of it as they do the right side of it. And they don't really care how it goes. Some of them, I believe, just goes along with the job. If the job says this and the rest of them wants to go along, I can't do my friend wrong. Let's go ahead and vote it the other way, even though it shouldn't be. I'm going to tell you something. Borson never was voted in. I hope you don't understand that. Borson never was voted in. It was put in by judges. It was put in by people that wanted it in. And you know what? We have never stood up to stop. Because I believe if this generation stops it, I give them credit. Praise God for standing up. Because they're trying to move across some of these uh, states and some of these places and trying to make those moves. But here's Paul. They're bringing him to this Arapagus place. And it says in verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. Mars Hill is another uh, name for Arapagus. Arapagus is also a name for the council that's upon this hill. Because knowing that this is such an educated, high-tech place, this is a place like, the, like what you'd see like Washington, D.C. More or less, all the intellect came, all of the smart people, all of those that understood. And these people would sit as a council, and they would discern what's right or wrong about these doctrines. They would bring their arguments. They would bring all these things. But they couldn't understand Paul. Why couldn't they understand Paul? Same reason they can't understand you when you're witnessing to them. See, all they know is something's inside of you and something's moving you. And I, I want to hear your argument. Or they want to get in an argument with you. And I'm thinking, you don't understand. Jesus is all it's about. It's not about me. It's not about how smart I am. It's not about me being a good person. No, it's about him that came and rescued me. He changed my heart. I had a guy at work tell me one time, you ain't one of them people that believes you can, you can be lost one day and found the next day or saved the next day. And I looked at him and I said, if you knew Jesus, you'd understand. It's all a new dancing. I said, if you knew Jesus, you'd understand. Because you can't meet him and then turn around and say, I don't know him. Because he made himself real to me. Paul standing up on this hill. He says, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. Superstitious is a fear, a belief in chance or magic. And I've always thought of superstition like the black cat ran in front of you and, uh, and run and walk under a ladder, you know, superstitious stuff. But these people were superstitious. They, they always was looking for the answers to everything. And they couldn't find them. As smart as they were, they weren't getting no smarter. 
They, that, if you'd have it, it's like you look at man and all of his science and all of his wisdom and all of those that are smart and they put them all in a place and they put them together and they still can't figure it out. You know what? That don't sound like America. I don't know what does. Because they're standing up there and can't figure out whether they're a boy or a girl. Can't make a decision on that. I told my wife, I said, you know what? I'm the dumbest guy in the world, but there ain't no way I could at least go and sit on a council and I can look at them and say, that's not right. I won't vote that way. You know what? Somebody's got to sit in there and say, that's not right. Somebody's lying. They, one of the guys in North Carolina, I uh, can't remember, I think he was North Carolina governor or somebody, he stood up and made a statement. He said, this ain't nothing but filth. Take this out of our schools. I'm not going to have that put in our schools. They're trying to take his job away because he said this transgender stuff ain't right. He said, ain't nothing but filth. The book they're putting out is filth. I know, just look at me funny, but it's the way I see it. Look at verse 23. It's the last one I'm going to read on this part. It says, for as... I passed by, Paul said, I beheld your devotions, and I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. Listen to what I'm telling you. The biggest statement in this chapter is the unknown God. They don't know God. All the wisdom they had there, all the years. You know who? You know who probably stood right where Paul stood. Those those uh, characters like Plato and Aristotle. Some of these uh, people that baby, basically they have really come up with a lot of the stuff that we do in our country. These supposedly wise men. They are the reasons that we do some of the things that we do. If you look up what they taught, what they learned back. This was hundreds of years before that. But Paul is standing where they're at. And he's trying to defy this man's knowledge against God. He's saying, "You it, now don't this sound funny? God makes man. Man makes an idol. But man don't worship God. Man worships the idol. And it don't do nothing for him. He made it, so he wants to worship it. You know what I see? I see computers that people worship their computers. They want to marry their computer. They might as well. They spend all the time on it. They might as well just marry it. Makes much sense to me. And I'm not trying to pick at your computer. I'm trying to tell you, don't put nothing ahead of God. God is who you talk to, and when you quit talking to him, but you'll talk to your computer, guess what? God's a jealous God. You're idolizing something bigger than he is. God don't like it. God's a jealous God. All those idols in that city, you know what? God knew they weren't nothing but stones and gold and silver and things that you throw on the ground. But God was alive and well, and he created all things and made all things. And I can tell you right now, God's not happy with it. And he's especially not happy with his church that says, oh, yeah, I went to church somewhere, and I got, got a card saying I was saved. And so, you know, I'm just waiting on the bus. I can do whatever I want to, live however I want to, and God don't care because I get to go. 
And I'm thinking, look out, because you know what? Why would Jesus come to the churches, the seven churches, and tell them to repent? He's saying it right before he comes back for the church. Why would he say that? He's telling them to repent and to overcome, or he'll remove them. See, I think we got to take this more serious. And I think that has been a lie that came out of hell to tell you you can do whatever you want and it don't matter, it's already forgiven. See, I tell you right now, if your heart's not broke when you sin, God's after you. Or you've shut God off. And you're given every excuse in the world. world. The rest of the world's doing it. All these other ministers are telling me it's okay. I'm sorry, I can't tell you that. I'll tell you, strive to enter in. Strive to find that place. Hunger for him. Connie said it. Every day, God feeds me. God's trying to feed me with what he wants me to hear because he's filling me up. Connie, I've had him do me the same way. He'll speak to me on Monday, and I'm thinking, I'm so excited. I can't hardly, honey, I ain't got time to talk to you. i got to go study. And you know what? By the time the week's out, I feel like the enemy stole everything I had. I know, man, why didn't I write this stuff down more? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't... And I'm scared to death. It's like I'm getting closer. The enemy's fighting me with everything he can. He don't want me to put that together. He don't want me to hear what God said. But I'm going to tell you something. If I don't start with God, I don't know what to tell you. I can read a story. I can, I can give you a, an illustration sometimes. But can I tell you, it's empty. We need to come to the place where she said it, we need to humble ourselves before God. And that, mean, that means if you have to do it every day, humble yourself before him every day. Say, Lord, I came to talk to you today. I didn't, came to, I didn't just come to say, gimme, gimme. I came to talk to you because I need you. Paul, when he said this, he said, whom therefore, after he said to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Paul's not being harsh. That's a word that's translated ignorantly. If I would say you're ignorantly doing that, you'd probably say, well, who are you? I don't know. Paul didn't say it that hard. Paul was caring for them. He loved them. But he's letting them know what you're doing is following a dead end. And let me tell you the best news there ever was. Can I tell you about the news of Jesus Christ? Can I tell you that God sent his son to pay your price? That you can be rescued and brought back into a relationship with the heavenly father to live and dwell forever. He'll dwell inside of you. He'll make his abode inside of you. God's trying to get the message out. Christian, can I tell you, that's our call. Our call is to go out. He told the uh, disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel to who? To every creature. Everyone. What's God waiting on? He's waiting on us to do our job, number one. Stand in the gap like Paul did. Yeah, they're going to laugh at you. Yeah, they're not going to be happy with you. They're going to make fun of you. Your own family will make fun of you. But can I tell you something? God requires that we stand in the gap 
he requires that we speak his word of truth. If we're too ashamed to bring the gospel to people, how do we ever expect them to learn? How do we ever expect them to see it? I want to read this in Romans. Becky, you guys can come back up. In Romans 3, I want you to hear this. What Christ did for all mankind, and I want you to hear what these words are. It's in Romans 3, verse 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes everyone. We've all sinned and come short. Listen to this. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Now listen. You ain't justified in yourself. You're justified because he paid your price. You are set in a right relationship with the Heavenly Father because of Jesus and what he's doing. Now listen to what he says after this. Whom God, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for remission of sins that are past and through the forbearance of God. What is this propitiation? It's the appeasing to God. God is appeased at what Jesus did for us. But I like the words that says this, whom God has set forth. How many knows God set forth this gospel before us that you're in? Did you know God set the gospel before us? He sent Jesus Christ, the, the good news of the gospel, to save each and every one of us. But he has set forth, God has set forth this gospel. Praise God. And it says, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and a justifier of him which believes in Jesus. Apostle Paul told Timothy in chapter 1, verse 3, he said, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some of them, some that they teach no other doctrine, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. And on down in chapter 6 of that same 1 Timothy, if any man teach otherwise and consent not the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knows nothing, dotting about questions and strifes of words, where there comes envy, strife, railings, evil surmises, perverse disputings, men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw yourself. What is Paul saying to Timothy? He's warning the young pastor. He's telling him. He's saying, you've got to understand, don't get caught up in the questions. Do you know what people will try their best to change churches all the time? They're doing it everywhere. They come in with the ideal that, oh, well, we're supposed to have an opinion, so let me give you my opinion. Let's do this. Let's do that. And they want to change the gospel. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's why the gospel is having a struggle. Because we have gone off of the Holy Spirit leading us. We've gone off of the word of God that 
tells us to bring forth the gospel and teach the gospel. We quit going to Sunday school. We quit going to prayer meetings. We quit searching for God. And I'm going to tell you something. When you do, you'll find you a nice little comfortable road where you're cruising along. But you ain't on the road that's the holy road. You're not on the road with Christ. You're deceiving yourself. The enemy's deceiving you. You say, who are you to tell you? I ain't, I'm just trying to warn you. I'm trying to warn you because I'm warning myself. Stay on the right road. Don't listen to what the enemy is saying because the enemy's going to keep right on saying it. He's going to keep bringing it up. And you know what? When you have these people that want to take our children in these schools and they don't want them to let you know what's going on. They're constantly bringing stuff into the schools that these kids are being taught that makes them defy their parents or defy godliness. Just take a chance. I tell you right now, I got a grandson back there, went through college, and I can guarantee you he can come up here and tell you how much these professors will talk against what godliness is. They don't want to hear about Jesus Christ. They don't want that spoken in their class. And I'm thinking, you're supposed to be higher education. And most of these started as Christian colleges. But that's how far they've got away from the gospel. And they're the ones influencing our children. And it was not just the professors there. It's going all the way down into the schools. They're teaching them at the young age. And they tell you, don't argue with them. Don't ask no questions. Don't even get involved. You can trust the teachers. They really care. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't care who they are. They don't know Christ. And if they know Christ, they better pay attention to what he's telling them. Because God put you there to stand in the gap. finish this tonight but I want you to understand something Paul did not get in a rage he was bringing the truth he showed up to Athens to wait for Timothy and Silas and them to come while he's waiting he sees all the idol worshiping going on and Paul had compassion for him and he began to go to the marketplace he didn't go home and say it's like you said about that pastor he didn't go home and say it's Saturday I'll just sit here and study for tomorrow no he got up and said I'm going down to spread the gospel and he went to your house the day you got saved the day before you got saved you know why because God sent him God sent Paul down there wherever Paul was going he wasn't ashamed to bring forth we have to understand that's what, that's what we're called to do. We're called to carry the gospel. You don't realize what you're doing in your family just being a Christian. You don't realize what it means for you to study your Bible and to pray and to seek God. You don't realize what it means for you to pray in front of your children. It's okay. You know what? They're going to think you're funny anyway. I, I told you, when I was a teenager, I remember going in the back door at Northside, and I thought, as soon as I walked through the kitchen door, oh, Dad's got the Bible out. I'm, I'm, I'll never get through the kitchen. And 
he'll say, come here, come here, boy, you got to hear this. Sit down there, listen. And he talked to me for 30 minutes on the Bible. And you know what? I, I kept telling myself, now I ain't going through the kitchen door no more. I'm going the other way. But the truth is, he loved me enough to tell me what was going on inside of him. See, that's all thing my parents had to give me was Jesus. They didn't leave us no money. There was too many kids. We ate too much. But the truth is, they left us Jesus. It says on my dad's tombstone down there, it says, come and follow me. Jesus said it. Come and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. And I know my dad wanted everybody to follow him. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's what he was saying. Why? He looked at the lost and the hurting. He looked at a dying world that has no hope. All the education and all the money that America can ever put together, they can print it till they turn blue in the face. And I can still tell you, it ain't going to solve the problem. They have to come back to Jesus. So does the church. And judgment will begin in the house of God. God loves us. I don't know who I'm talking to because I don't think it was me talking. I think the Holy Spirit was talking already today. See, I believe somebody's back there knows that they need to recommit their heart. They need to get their heart right with God. And they need to come and get a hold of the gospel and get on the gospel train. Say, Lord, I'm riding this horse. I'm never turning away. I'm not ever playing the second fiddle to it anymore. I'm going to live it the best that I know how. I'm going to walk it all the way. Because until you make up your mind, the enemy will beat you. So while they sing, you come. Whoever you are, you come. I'm going to hold you. Have you a heart that's weak? 